Well, I hope that we not only honor today those who have paid the ultimate price for our freedom, but I pray that every day we will honor those men and women who serve our country so we can be here this morning and have the freedom to be here. You know, Memorial Day was established in 1868 to honor the fallen soldiers of the Civil War. It has grown to become a solemn recommendation and recognition of all of our nation's war dead and the high price of freedom. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I, I pray that we'll never forget that freedom is not free. It costs, and usually it costs the lives of our men and women and their shed blood. You know, I got thinking about this. You know, it, it's dangerous when I think, but I got thinking about this. If you go and look at any military cemetery, there's, there's a few middle-aged men scattered around, but it's our young. It's our 18-year-olds, early 20-year-olds who go to pay the ultimate price and to pay for our freedom. You know, I was reminded this week of a story I heard a long time ago about a church that wanted to honor their war dead. So they put up a big bulletin board, and they decorated it with flags and red, white, and blue, put all the pictures of men and women who had died who had been members of that church. Pastor came out of the church, and he saw a young little boy standing, and he was admiring the bulletin board. So he walked up, and he said, young man, do you, do you understand what this board represents? And the little young boy said, No. So the pastor proceeded to tell him, and he finished his explanation with, these pictures are the pictures of men and women from our church who have died in service. And the young man looked at him and said, Pastor, was that the morning service or the evening service? <laughs> I couldn't help it. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I've, I called, it's amazing, I called all the guys that I knew who... Uh, had served in the military that I knew, members of this church. I know that I'm sure there's others that I didn't know. And I only found two guys that could still get in the uniforms. <laughs> so they really need to be honored this morning. And one of them, you know, we have a great privilege here today. Scott, who is our young man from Australia who's over here working with uh, one of our companies, uh, he's not in the American service military. He's in the Australian military. But we want to honor him this morning, too, because they've been our allies for a long time. And if you've ever been to Australia, folks, it takes a real act of courage to go from here to Australia. That's a 21-hour flight to Australia. And if you're not careful, you get in on the wrong side of the car, and they'll ask you, do you want to drive? And you say no, and you have to get out and get to the other side because they drive on the wrong side of the street. But that's neither here nor there. But we're glad that Scott's here today, and if you've served in the military, I want you to stand so we can thank you. If, you're, if you've ever served in the military, please stand right now. Come on. Let's go, guys. Let's go, ladies. Thank you all so much, because I, I tell you what, we would not be here, 
and have this freedom if it wasn't for men and women just like you. And you've, you've all paid the price to serve. Thank you very much. Folks, even when you serve in a peacetime army, sometimes there's a price to pray, pay. So I'm going to digress just a little bit because uh, thank you, Patrick. You got me up here a little bit early. But my intention, my plan was to make a career out of the army. I like the army. The army was really good for me. It taught me things of, like discipline. It taught me a work, well, my dad taught me work ethic, but it taught me um, just to stay in there even when it got tough. And they just taught me a lot of things. They trained me, and to even this day, I'm using the skills I learned in the Army. So I had planned on making a career of it. And so I was going to be one of those tripper dippers, you know, Army, Social Security, and another job to retire from. But unfortunately, now i got to rephrase this. Fortunately, I got married. <laughs> Almost messed up. I got married, and I'd been married six weeks. Six weeks. My wife hadn't even learned my middle name yet. And I got up one morning and went to base. I was, I worked for the colonel. And I went to the office in my class A's. About 11 o'clock, I was told to go to my company and pack all my war gear. I had what they call an off-post locker with all my military stuff in there. I had to go down to the supply room and get my rifle, which I had qualified in five times as an expert and never held it in my hand. I'm a paper soldier. Scared me because they told me they were going to make me a sniper and I didn't know how to load the sucker. That's, that's, I'm really kidding. I, I didn't know how to load it and I didn't know how to shoot it, although I never qualified with that weapon. But the, here's, the, here's the thing. And so they put us in trucks and took us. And that, that, we did that all the time because I was in a strike outfit and we were support unit for the 82nd Airborne. So every time they were on alert, they, we had to go through this and... When we got to the gate, they turned us around, and we'd go back, and then we'd go get on the A's and go back to the office. Not today. It was a Cuban crisis, the missile crisis. Next thing I know, I'm on a, I'm on a train going to some secret base in Florida. This day, I, know, I don't know where I was. All I know, it was a lot of snakes and bugs, and it was out in the middle of the jungle. You could hear the alligators roaring at night. And as I was on that train, I went through the area where I lived, and I saw my lovely bride in the window preparing my supper that I never got to eat. And she didn't know where I was for eight weeks. A lieutenant called and said, we take care of our own, so if you need anything, just call this number, and if you want to get in touch with your wife, to your husband, write him at APO box such and such, New York, New York. And she didn't know where I was. <laughs> I didn't know where I was. And so because of the kind of job I had, I was a separation clerk, so I let everybody out of the service, and they froze all the enlistments, and so I had this big backlog, so they flew me back early. Folks, times have changed. They took me to Savannah, full military gear, my rifle on my shoulder, a free ticket. They put my bag in the luggage area. They put me on the plane. I put my carbine rifle, 30 caliber, in the overhead. <laughs> Couldn't do that today. And you know what? Everybody was applauding as I went through the concourse. I got home, Newport News, Virginia. My wife picked me up. And we had a serious conversation on the way home. She said, honey, I love you, but I'm not going to live like this. You're up for re-enlistment. You're a short-timer. You don't re-enlist. 
I said, honey, they're going to give me $10,000. We can buy a house. I don't care. You don't re-enlist. And if you want to re-enlist, that's fine. I'm going home, and you can come see me any weekend. <laughs> hey, I'm 21 years old. Long story short, I got out of service. So, <laughs> now, I don't want anybody to leave this service thinking, boy, old Herb must really be henpecked, because I am not henpecked. I am the head of my household. I am the head. Unfortunately, Dorothy's the nick, and she turns the head. <laughs> so, thank you. Thank you for your service, and this morning I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want, I want to talk about some other heroes, and if, if you look at uh, the title of the sermon today, it's even though they're dead, they still speak, and so I know this to be true. If you look, if you look at the uh, verse 4 of chapter 11, it talks to us about Abel. Abel was the first individual who died. Do you have something about that? There had been no death up to this time. Abel was the first person who died. And why did he die? Because he had did what God asked him to do. And his brother Cain got jealous because Cain didn't do what he was supposed to do. And he got mad because God accepted Abel's offering and didn't accept his offering. So he killed his brother. So here's a man who dies, not because he did something wrong, but because he did something right. How many times through history have we had men and women who have died, not because they did something wrong, but because they did something right, because they would not forsake God? And yet the Bible says there in chapter uh, 11, verse 4, that even though he's dead, he still speaks. Now, I've lived long enough to know that anyone who's a person of faith still has influence. They still speak. But you know, sometimes even people who may not have been Christians still have influence. You know, I get people confused when I talk about my dad. This is my mother's third husband who raised me from the time I was nine when he took me out of the orphanage. And over the years, and over the last 40-something years in ministry, I've had men and I've had women. I've had men and women. I've had couples. I've had boys and girls in my office who are going through serious trouble. And I sit there trying to, to give them spiritual guidance, trying to help them to realize how they can turn a bad situation into a good situation. And I catch myself saying all the time, well, my dad used to say. And something he taught me as a kid would come back to me. And he, and he taught me truths that still apply today. To give you an example, I have a fellow that used to be in my singles ministry in First Baptist Church, Lilburn, Georgia. And he worked for Rockwell, and they lost their contract, and he lost his job. And a lot of people, that was during the recession time, and a lot of people lost their job. And he, he came to my office, and he was kind of in dire straits. And he wanted to know what he needed to do. And I said, go find a job. No brain. I said, my dad used to say, I said, you can draw unemployment. He said, yeah, I know how to do that. And you can probably draw more unemployment than you get going out and work some mundane job. But my dad, you say, it's better to work and have the dignity of work and, and be able to go from that ground level up to something better because you can find a job from a job easier than you can find a job from no job. And you keep your dignity, you keep your sense of self-worth. So it's better to be, and this is what my dad taught me, it's better to work, even, don't care what it is. I don't care what it is, rather than taking an unemployment check than welfare. 
He says, because you'll always do better in the long run. And so I told Mel that. I said, Mel, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you flip hamburgers at a Waffle House. I don't care. Find something to do. Four weeks later, somebody says, hey, have you heard about Mel Sanders? I said, no, what, what, what's going on? He's flipping hamburgers down at Waffle House. I went and I said, Mel, what are you doing? Now, this guy's got a college degree. He has a master's degree, and he's flipping hamburgers. He says, Herb, I'm telling you what, I'm doing what you told me to do. I said, I was using that as an analogy. What don't you understand about an analogy? That was an example. He said, well, I don't care. I've never done anything. I'm having the time of my life. I said, okay, but just don't get any tattoos. Now, I'm not throwing off of you if you got a tattoo, but I'm just telling you, if you ever eat in the Waffle House, they all got tattoos, and you don't have to chew. You just put it in your mouth and the, with the grease that slides down. I love Waffle House. I love Waffle House. Now, I've got a point to this, as I always do. Several weeks later, he got a job, a really good job, that later on he retired from with Lockheed Martin in Marietta. And there were 37 people that applied for that job. And he came to my office one day, and he said, I've been working there for about four months, and I had lunch with my boss, and I asked him why he hired me, because he said, I looked at a lot of the resumes, because that's what he was. He was a personnel specialist. And he says, most of those guys that applied were much more qualified than I was, had more experience, because he was a young guy. So I asked my boss, why did you hire me? He says, I looked at all those resumes, and of all those resumes, everybody was sitting there looking for a position drawing unemployment, but you were working in Waffle House. He said, that impressed me. That's why I hired you. You know what I said? Thank you, Daddy. Because that, that's a good word. So I want to talk to you today about some other individuals this morning who are heroes. The first point in your outline is they understood the words of faith. You know, declaration right there in chapter 1 of Hebrews 11, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, St. Augustine said, faith, and he interpreted this for us, faith is to believe what we do not see and the reward of the faith we have to see what we believe. You know, I had the privilege many years ago when I was a layman, deacon at the time, of being twice I had the opportunity to be the driver for Manly Beasley, a great, a great evangelist. And Manley had gotten sick, and uh, they told him he was going to die. And his wife was reading the Psalms to him one day, and she read that Psalm, You Shall See Your Children's Children. And he said, Read that again. And in this Psalm, it says, You shall see your children's children. And he told his wife, God just spoke to me. Tell the doctor I want to go home. I'm discharging myself. Help me up, because he was a very sick man. God never chose to heal him. He carried his sickness all of his life. But he preached the gospel. The last time I was with him, he preached the gospel, sat down for an hour before he had enough strength to get off the stage, and ended up in the hospital that afternoon. Manley taught me one thing. He said, you say it's so, even when all the circumstances say it's not so, you continue to say it's so till God makes it so. Folks, that's faith. That's standing on the word of God. You don't have to, you don't have to know everything except to know that God's word is true and his word will not ever fail you. So here's a declaration of faith. And folks, it's also found in Hebrews. I'm going to stay in Hebrews 11, so just stay in 11 with me. It's, on, it's in chapter 6. But without faith, it is impossible. Without faith, it is what? 
Without faith, it's what? Impossible. It's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Folks, God said, if you seek me, you'll find me. You just got to be willing to take the step. Okay. So here's, here's these folks I'm going to mention to you in just a few minutes. Here's a couple of things they knew. They knew that God rewarded faith. God rewards. Why would God reward anything other than faith? And you know, folks, Paul tells us in, in uh, the scriptures over there in Ephesians, he says, I can do all things. How many things? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Folks, one of the worst words in vocabulary, I can't do that. If I had a dollar for every time I've asked somebody because I wanted them to have a blessing to do something, they said, I can't do that. Well, excuse me, that shot came up. I can't do that. How do you know you can't do it? Until you try it. And when you say you can't do it, you take the power of God out of your life. Folks, what are you going to believe? Your opinion? Or what the Word of God says? God says you can do all things through Christ. It's through Christ that you can do all things. I can do all things through Herb Long's efforts. <laughs> no. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, let me give you, a few, you know, the, the, the destination of faith. Here's your destination. Look at 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 13, 16. And it says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child. Everybody said it was impossible. She even laughed. <laughs> What's it say? Nothing's impossible for God. So at an old age, now I don't know how many of you ladies at her age would want to have a child, but, you know, that's between you and God. Okay, where she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She stood on faith. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, when assured of them, embraced them and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims. Folks, I'm telling you. Let me continue. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better than, than that, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Folks, do you hear that? God has prepared a city. So here is the final destination and the results of faith. Our destination and our results is that we have a heavenly home. What did Jesus say? He says, I'm, you know, you believe in God? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And really that mansion is many dwelling place. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way I am going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way 
you're going, how can we know? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, let's look at some examples of faith and what they say today. Remember, even though they're dead, they still speak. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. You all remember that story? God spoke to Abraham and said, leave your father and mother and go out to a land I will show you. Now, why would it not be easier for God to say, Abraham, I want you to leave your father and mother, and I'm going to send you to Canaan. You know, it's a rich land. It's better land than over here at Ur. It's much better, much better land. I'm going to give that to you in, in, in Canaan. God said, I'm going to take you to the place I'm going to show you. He already knew, but he didn't tell Abraham. Do you ever wonder why? He didn't tell him because it took no faith. And he said, oh, man, I like Canaan. That's a great place. I'll go, Lord. It wouldn't take any faith. So Abraham speaks to say, here's what he says. When, calls, when God calls, go. You may not know the final destination, but ladies and gentlemen, I truly believe God is never going to call us to do something that he's going to hurt us. That doesn't we might not suffer in the doing, but he has a purpose, and God is not a God, God is not a father that's going to do you harm. So Abraham says, if God calls, you go. You, you may not know the way, you don't have to know the way. God knows the way. But then we have another one. He also told Abraham, sacrifice Isaac. Now here's Isaac, the son of promise he waited for. He had this son in his old age. Now the, the son's a teenager. And he says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. So he, he says, okay. So he takes a donkey. He takes wood. He takes fire. He takes Isaac. They're going up the mountain. Isaac says, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire, where's the sacrifice? And you remember what Abraham said? God will provide. So he takes them up the top of the mountain. He puts, he puts the wood on the altar that they built. He takes Isaac, ties him up, lays him on the altar. He takes the fire. He's getting ready to consume it, so he knows he's going to have to burn up. He takes his knife. He gets ready to plunge it in the heart of Isaac. Now, folks, that's trust. And then God stays his hand. God never wanted, God never wanted Isaac. Now, he did sacrifice his own son, but he didn't want Isaac's. He didn't want Isaac. He didn't want Abraham's son. This was just a test to see if Abraham was ready to do further things he wanted him to do. Ladies and gentlemen, I guarantee you, if you're a Christian, there have been times in your life that God has tested you. And many of you have passed the test and gone further with God. But some of you, because of fear, you've stepped back. What happens when you step back from a test that God gives you? You got to do it again. And you got to do it again until you pass the test. You see, God didn't want Isaac. And if you notice, as Isaac and Abraham was going up one side of the mountain, that ram was coming up the other. And God had already provided the provision. How many times in my own life, before I even knew the answer, God had already provided the answer? I shared that with you a few weeks ago about a house. And it was a perfect house that I needed to, to enlarge the youth ministry. So what does Abraham say there? He says, when tests come, trust. And then you have Moses, verse 29. Moses led the children of Israel through the Red Sea. 
Now, this is amazing. You know, how many of y'all know that God has a foreknowledge? Yeah. God knows yesterday, he knows today, he knows tomorrow. You don't know tomorrow, but he knows tomorrow. He already knows what happened. So you can, you can put your trust in him every day. God knew beforehand that the Hebrews will come to the Red Sea and go across, and then they will come to the Jordan, the second test. Now, they've already went through the Red Sea. But because 10 lion spies who had fear, who didn't trust God, they kept the Hebrews on the wrong side of Jordan. And for 40 years, until every one of those folks, except the two, Caleb and Joshua, who had faith, said, man, we can take those giants. <laughs> those giants are nothing. They're nothing. We can take them. But the people believed the 10 lion spies. And so for 40 years, they wandered in the desert until that generation died off. Now, can I ask you a question? Who's a better person to lead the people in the desert for 40 years other than somebody who'd already spent 40 years on the backside of the desert? See, Abraham didn't know. Not Abraham, Moses. I'll get my right care. Moses didn't know. <laughs> That's a senior moment that I only have once every other half hour. Moses didn't know he was being in training. You know, when I look at Moses, one of my favorite, all of my favorite, you know, I, and I'm please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but I just to give you, God still operates the same way. I had a great job in the corporate world. Youngest manager in the largest company in our field. We were larger than everybody. We had an international operation. I had, I'm 23 years old when I got the promotion, and uh, I had five states under me. I had an unlimited expense account. I had a job that most men four times my age would have given their eye teeth to have. And there came a time that three years later when I was 25, I became a Christian. I had to leave that job. I didn't want to do all that drinking. I didn't want to do all that stuff that they were asking me to do. It bothered me. didn't bother me before I got saved, but it bothered me a lot after I got saved. So I quit my job. I never forget going to the hospital. My daughter, who was two years old, three years old, just had an operation. And I showed up in the hospital at 2 o'clock in the afternoon to check on Debbie. And my wife says, what are you doing here? I said, I come check on Debbie. She says, that's not what I asked you. What are you doing here? She says, I know you. You're a workaholic. You were, I expected you late this evening, but I didn't expect you to know 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, well, honey, I got something to tell you. What's that? I quit my job. What are we going to do? I said, I don't know. that's not my problem. I'm trying to honor God, and so I'm just going to trust God. He's going to provide something. Well, here's the thing. My dad, who had to quit school, this is the, my mother's husband in the eighth grade, to help support the family. He was the oldest of four boys. So he only had an eighth grade education because he had to go to work. And he made all of us boys get a trade. He hammered it into us. I got mine later, but he handed it in and hammered it in and hammered it into us. You got to have a trade. We may have another depression, and you got to be able to do something that you can do under a shade tree to earn money for your family. He said, I don't care how much education you get. I don't care what big, I'm uh, this way, my dad, muck, muck, muck jobs you get. You got to have a trade. Well, my brothers went and they went to Mechanical. They can, they can, to this day, they can fix anything. I envy them. They can fix anything. I can't fix nothing. 
I get frustrated. If the screws and the holes don't match, I get nails and just nail that sucker together. Then paint over the, paint over the nails. It's, it's amazing. They work. They may lean a little bit, but it's, it, it, it's functional. So I went to barber college. Never used it. Didn't want to use it. But I did it. Graduated. Went and took the test. Took all the whole, ta- you know, the board of it, health and all the stuff I had to go through, and I got my license. And I'd already renewed it twice. Never used it. But that day after I left Dorothy, I went to the barber. They'd been cutting my hair for five years, and I gave him an offer he couldn't refuse, and I bought his place. And I opened another place, and God blessed me. Here's the point I'm trying to make. People ask me, said, Herb, where do you learn a lot of stuff you learn? I learned it standing behind a barber chair for 16 years listening to people's problems. And I didn't know I was in training. I was in training I couldn't learn in seminary. Oh, I have, I've been to seminary. I've got my degree. I'm smarter than I look. I'm better educated than I talk. But folks, God had me in training because he knew there was going to come a day. He's going to say, here, give your businesses away. Come follow me. Moses didn't know that he's out there in the back side of the desert being trained to lead the Hebrews. So what does Moses say to us? All right, he's between the rock and the hard place. He's got the Red Sea in front of him. He's got Egypt's army behind him. Here's what Moses says today. Against overwhelming odds, move forward. Move forward. Then we got Joshua. Joshua marched the army of Israel around Jericho seven times. Joshua speaks to us today saying, when it doesn't make sense, Keep going. Folks, it don't have to make sense to us if it makes sense to God. And I'm going to tell you, God's going to have us do things that we don't, we say this is ludicrous, but it's what God wants to do. Then they accomplish works of faith. Here's some examples. Noah, he built an ark. Noah says to us today, though it's hard work, it may take a lifetime, keep working. Keep at it. Rahab, she hid and protected the spies. Verse 31. Rahab speaks to us today and says, even though it involves great risks, side with God. Don't ever side with the world. Side with God. If the world tells you you can't do something, God tells you to do it. You do what God tells you to do. Don't do what the world tells you to do. Others are found in verses 32 through 34. Let me read those to you. It says, And, when more shall, and what more shall I say? For the time would fall to me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jethro, and also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. So what are they saying? They speak to us today saying, every victory in life, every accomplishment is given to us by grace through our faith. Folks, you got to have faith. And then, we, then they withstood, point four, they withstood the trials of faith. Now, examples of, of, of uh, verses 35 through 38 gives us the trials. Let's look at 35, 38. If you've got your Bibles open, it, it says, Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Folks, they didn't receive the promise, but verse 40 says, God having provided something better for us, 
that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So they speak to us today saying, every victory in life, every accomplishment is given to us by grace through faith. I told somebody the other day, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 38-39 is some of my favorite verses. And I paraphrase them this way. They did not receive, God doesn't always give you what you pray for. He usually gives you something better. And then finally, they withstood the trials of faith. No, not finally. I got another point. Examples in verse 35, 30, you know, they speak to us saying, when life goes bad, don't give up. There's a better life coming. These folks, these, this, this hall of faith, these folks that we hear in chapter 11, they didn't receive the promise. They saw it from afar. You know, when I was writing this, I got thinking about Stephen, who got stoned. And if you remember, Stephen's stoned. He looks up, and did you notice? He has a vision of heaven, and he, and he sees Jesus standing beside the throne of God. You know, I thought about that. Every, every place I read, it says, Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. But that's not what Stephen saw. Stephen saw God, Jesus, standing. You know, I think Jesus jumped out of that seat and said, Hang on there, boy. Hang on. The angels, get ready. He's coming home. He's coming home. See, I believe Jesus is yours and my cheerleader. I think he gives us a lot of attaboys. I think he says, keep on keeping on. Don't quit. The reward is worth it. Now, I shared the folks that were taking the evangelism class this morning. Don't miss next week. Whatever you do, don't miss next week. Because next week, part of the sermon is going to be the five crowns, the five rewards that we're going to receive from Christ. But I think he was standing so he could say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So finally, now this is finally, they, they, they become our witnesses of faith. 12.1 says, therefore, also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnails us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us keep on keeping on. I believe this. There is a galley of witnesses watching us and pulling for us. They're encouraging us. You know, every time I think about quitting, every time I, I think, I get, this, I get this vision of Coy Steele, who taught me how to share my faith. Of Mr. Yarborough, who taught me gentleness and peace. Of Mr. Peavy, who taught me faithfulness. I go on and on and on. So many people have impacted my life. I think they're watching me. First and foremost, I don't ever want to disappoint Jesus. But folks, I don't want to disappoint those folks who have poured their life into me, who are long gone, who already received their reward. And I hear their voice sometimes and keep going, Herb. Keep going. Don't quit. And ladies and gentlemen, there's been times more than once that I've wanted to quit. So they, along with the Trinity and the angelic host, they cheer us on. We should draw strength and encouragement from these witnesses. 
I'm reminded of a man who fell off a cliff but managed to grab a little small branch. And he screams, is there anybody up there? Is there anybody up there? And he hears this voice. I am here. I am the Lord. Do you believe in me? And he said, yes, Lord, I believe. I really believe. But I can't hold on much longer. Don't worry. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. There's a pause. And then he says, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> Here's what I want to say to you this morning. Here's what the Word of God says to you. To exercise faith, we need to let go and trust God. Folks, we just got to, what are you holding on to? What are you, what are you grabbing? What are you afraid to let go of? What are you afraid God might want to do in your life? Send you to Africa? If he does, that's where you ought to be. You won't be happy in any place else. It is one thing to say you have faith. Oh, I have faith. But it's another thing to put faith in action. On this Memorial Day weekend, and this was so important, I kind of stuck with my notes more than I normally do, but this is important. Let us remember our heroes who have given their lives so we could have the freedom to be here this morning. Let us never forget. We should sing with confidence the old hymn, have faith in God and move forward in faith. Now, if you're here this morning, this is decision time. And I'm going to ask you all to stand because we're going to start doing something a little different. Years ago, my pastor, Dr. Jack Evans, preached a message. It so touched my heart. It so touched my heart that I wanted to go forward. But I didn't go. I was afraid what people might think if I went forward. So after the service, I went to Brother Jack and I said, Brother Jack, that was a great message. It, 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 it touched my heart. I was under so much conviction. So much conviction to come forward. But I was afraid what people might think. I was a young Christian. I hadn't been saved a year. And he said, Herb, never forget. Never worry about what people are going to think. Don't worry about the person on the right. Don't worry about the person on the left. Don't worry about the person in front of you, behind you. Only worry about what God thinks. So if you're here this morning and you want to exercise the faith that I'm talking about, it begins with the first step of receiving Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray, pray in a few minutes a simple prayer. And if you'll pray that prayer with me, if you'll pray that prayer with me, you can start that journey of faith. And you can know that you have heaven as your home. But as many of you in here today I know that may be going through trials, that may be going through tribulation, who may have a friend that needs a word of prayer. But we're going to start ending every service with a time of prayer. We have rugs here. I've asked some deacons to come forward to pray with you, some ladies to come forward, if they will. Don't be afraid. If, you, if there's something you press on your heart that you want to pray about, as I pray and as we close the service, Anybody wants to come, I want you to come here and I'm going to pray for you too and the need that you're praying for. I don't need to know the need. God does. Just come and kneel here or stand here. But this is a time for you. 
This is time for you to put your faith in action and say, you can pray in the, in the pew, but I believe when you take a step of action, that's what Dr. Evans taught. He said, when you take that step, God can do more than he could if you just stay in the pew. So right now, as I pray, if you'd like to come forward and pray, ask God for anything in your life, I invite you to come forward. Lord, I thank you for them. Lord, they have needs. They have somebody who has needs. Lord, I don't know what they're praying for. But you know. Lord, if there's any here who would like to have a deacon pray with them or a lady pray with them, Lord, just bring them together. Lord, we pray that you touch them right at point of need. Lord, we know that you hear our prayers. We know, Father, that, Lord, that you're always with us. But sometimes, Father, we don't take the action we need to take to get the answer to our prayer. So, Lord, today I pray because of these and their faithfulness to take that step. Not worried about what people are thinking. Lord, I pray that you touch them right at the point of need. And pray, I pray, Father, that next week I'll hear reports of magnificent and, and, things and, and powerful things that you're doing in their life. Now, Lord, we want to thank you for our veterans. We thank you, Father, for those who have served this country. We thank you, Father, for those who have given their sacrifice. Lord, I thank you for my dad who paid the price at Matan. Matan. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that through his life, I've had freedom all my life. Now, Father, if there's anyone in here who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray and I ask you, Father, for to pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross. I believe he has the power to forgive me of my sin. So Jesus, right now, I forgive you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Jesus' name. Amen.